This is Dan McCarthy, and you're listening to the Check-In Podcast. So today is a big day for me. Today marks two weeks from my second dose of Moderna. So starting tomorrow morning, I can confidently say in the eyes of the U.S. government that I am fully vaccinated. Um, And that is something that just seems so far off in Fantasyland, even just a few months ago. Today also marks the first business trip I've taken since pre-COVID. I just got off an Amtrak on the way back from Washington, D.C. after ASTA's Legislative Day press conference today. And I can say that it was just incredibly refreshing to see so many people in person that I've spoken to through Zoom or on the phone over the past few months and to be able to shake hands with those who were comfortable with it and elbow bump with those who weren't. I know there are some stories going around about consumers still being worried about sort of this re-entering society post-COVID, but I can honestly say that my biggest worry was that my suit wouldn't fit because of the COVID weight gain. But for those of you keeping track, it did fit, which was almost a bigger relief as getting that second dose of the vaccine. It really does feel as though the world is slowly starting to think about closing its chapter on COVID. The pandemic will have ripple effects down the line, but it feels as though things are getting back to normal, whatever kind of normal we can expect. It's also still obvious that the travel industry has a tremendously long way to go to its full recovery. And that's something that Asta made very clear this week. But those precursor questions you would get when making plans with families or family or friends, those are long gone. Those worries I used to get when going back home to see my parents or seeing my sisters or my nephew, they aren't there anymore. And for whatever side you fell on with COVID, for me, it's just one giant relief to to be able to see signs of normalcy. It's this enormous breath of fresh air that I didn't think would feel this good, but it definitely does. Coming back into New York City a couple hours ago on the train and being able to sort of see the skyline out in the distance, it's it's starting to feel like I should be making those plans again, that I should be buying tickets to concerts or or picking dates to go see a baseball game. It's starting to feel like I should be sitting down and having a serious look at my travel bucket list and making actual plans to start crossing things off. And again, just being on Amtrak today reminded me of this this very romantic idea I've always had of, of getting a rail pass and, and going coast to coast in the U.S. and seeing all those cities and states and counties that I've only been able to fly over before and see from a window seat of an airplane. That was always one of my big travel goals. I, I genuinely hate driving, so that great a classic American road trip, it never really appealed to me. But sitting on the, a train for a week or so, I think is something I could definitely do and something I really should do. And I hope you all do the same with your travel goals. If you're a consumer listening, go ahead and call your travel agent tomorrow because what I think we've all realized during this year is that our time is short and things can happen very quickly. If you're a travel advisor and your work is really starting to pick up, which I really hope it is, just know that wherever you'll go, you'll get Wi-Fi and cell service. So don't let your desire to work and take advantage of this travel boom cloud the picture of why you got into this industry in the first place, which for so many people I know is a love of travel. So I have no great segue for my guests into this episode, but I wanted to pass along something that the ASA team said today. And that's all these headlines about TSA numbers going up and international travel restrictions coming down. That doesn't take away from the tremendous amount of pain that a lot of people in this travel industry have felt over the last year and continue to feel now. Recognizing that people are more than just numbers is something that I think made my guest today 
and the company he represents so incredibly successful and influential. On this episode, I was extremely fortunate to be able to speak with Brian King of Marriott. Brian is the president of Marriott's Caribbean and Latin America divisions. He's a lifer at Marriott, which is something so incredibly unique. And he's been there at the company for the last 30 years as it's grown into the biggest hospitality company in the world. He has incredibly humble beginnings, and if you spent any time in Chicago between 1976 and 1984, you'll probably recognize the place where he got his first job with Marriott. And I can tell you now it wasn't a hotel. Talking to him, it's fairly obvious he carries that humble beginning with him. He's been successful in each role he's had with Marriott, but he still knows what makes a company like Marriott so successful, and that's the people working inside the organization. From Arnie Sorensen, who passed away early this year, to Bill Marriott, to the men and women making beds or passing out room service or checking people in at the front desk at properties around the world. It's all about the people, the guests, the staff, treating people like extended family members no matter where you go, and recognizing hard work even from people way down the line. Um, Jason Isbell, who is one of my very favorite singer and songwriters and someone who I will 100% be getting tickets to once he rolls back into New York to play a show, has this great line in his song, Be Afraid. And he writes about this rock star and how this guy, quote, barks and snaps like a dog at the man who just tuned your guitar. And I don't think that's an uncommon thing, losing touch after becoming successful. But I get zero hint of that from talking to Brian. I actually feel quite the opposite from just having a half hour conversation with him. It was really a privilege to talk to Brian and to see what kind of passion someone that successful has for treating people the correct way. It's a lesson I feel very lucky to have gotten and it's a, it was a conversation I very much hope you all enjoy. So let's check in with Brian. Hello, Daniel. How are you? Good, Brian. Hi, hi. How are you? I am well. Are you in New York today? I'm in New York. I've been in New York since since I don't know last since 2020. So since March. So uh, I'm still still here. Yeah. And you're in yeah. Miami, right? I have since relocated to Miami. I think a where, while where, ago. Where, where were you prior? Well, I was at headquarters. I think you and I chatted. I can't remember some conference ages ago. And then during the height of the pandemic, I um, headed out to our place in Scottsdale just before everything went south. Because I was convinced from what I was hearing that uh, domestic travel was going to stop and I didn't want to get trapped in DC. <laughs> so um, <laughs> ended up being out there for what I thought was going to be, you know, 30, 60 days and pretty much was there until December. And then I took this role and moved to Miami. So never move in the middle of a pandemic. It adds a whole layer of complexity. <laughs> but you you grew up in the Midwest. Is that right? You grew up in the Wisconsin I area? I did. Okay. Yep, I did. Yep. So I'm a Midwest native, but I've kind of um, Milwaukee, uh, Chicago, D.C., Dallas, Scottsdale, D.C., Miami. <laughs> That's been the loop. Oh so how do you how do you like Miami? It's good, you know, adjusting, you know, it's um, interesting, like in the fall in the Midwest or the Northeast, you rake all these leaves. Well, now <laughs> just one giant palm leaf will fall and pummel you on the head. <laughs> so, that's really interesting. You wake up and there's this thing like across your lawn that's eight feet long. 
Um, no, but it's good. I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. So yeah, that's good. Win, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's better than Wisconsin or uh, Wisconsin would be. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I know how busy you are, especially in your new position, too. So I appreciate your time. Oh, absolutely. It's good to see you. Yeah, we'll get you out of your apartment one day soon. (laughs) I'm actually headed down to D.C. next week. It's my first. Well, I I was in Florida for a family vacation in April. And then now I'm going down to D.C. next week for an ASTA, for ASTA's Legislation Day. So I'm excited about that. That's next week. Good, good. Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to make a concerted effort to get out of my apartment as much as I can uh, these days, even though like some days you don't realize and then you you it's 730 and you have a baseball game on and then you realize you haven't left. You haven't opened the front door of your apartment yet. So I have I've had to sort of make that a schedule. But the city's starting to open up now, right? Yeah, the city feels good, to be honest. I was, I was just we were just talking to, to Kirsten about it, and uh, it, it does feel like it's turning over. The tourists haven't come back in, and particularly the international tourists haven't come back in, which I don't know right. when it's going to happen. But domestic yeah. tourists seem to be coming back in. I was walking around the streets a couple weeks ago, and it was just so packed. And I was just and I was just like, where were all these people in the winter? Like, it just I don't know if people left and came back or people hibernated. It was it's one or the other, but it, it yeah. is starting to wake up. Yeah. Well, I wanted to touch because I, I spoke to you last summer, I think, too, on Zoom. And you mentioned, I think you, we talked about how you were marking 27 years of Marriott. So would this be your 28th year with Marriott? Is that right? Uh, yeah, right around the corner. I think it's uh, May 27th. <laughs> well, <laughs> Congratulations, first of all. And I wanted to ask you about that because I've spoken to a lot of people for this series and a lot of people have sort of bounced around the industry, but have remained in the industry. Uh, but you've you've been with Marriott and that's just such a unique accomplishment to have to spend 30 years, almost 30 years in one industry and 30 years with one company. And I'm, I'm wondering if you ever have time to reflect on that, on that accomplishment and, and on that on that tenure. You know, if you love what you do, you never work another day in your life. And that's really been my Marriott story. So my very first Marriott job was in 1987 when I was in high school. And Marriott used to be in the amusement park business as well when we were a conglomerate. And um, I started out as a train driver. And one of my favorite memories from that, I was obviously literally fresh off the farm from the Midwest. And this was outside of Chicago and Gurney, Illinois. And obviously not uh, experienced with big business by any means. My parents ran a small uh, dairy farm in the middle of Wisconsin. And uh, my father was nice enough to kind of say, hey, why don't you explore the world um, in case you don't want to be a farmer? Which I think he knew at a young age that I wasn't going to be a farmer. Like the animals, maybe veterinarian. And I remember very distinctively, it was maybe my third or fourth week there, that Mr. Merritt Sr. and his wife were coming to visit the park. And I'll never forget this. So there's this beautiful kind of double story carousel, a giant reflection pool several blocks long, you know, gorgeous flowers surrounding it. And all, I don't know, 2,000 associates kind of lined up along this this reflecting pool and uh, you could see mr Merritt senior and his wife in this golf cart with the park president or the park general manager i guess is the title at the time and i could i remember vividly him kind of pushing him on the shoulder and the cart stopped and the two of them got out of the cart mr and mrs Merritt, and they went and they shook everyone's hand thousands of employees around that reflection pool 
and that carousel. And that moment for me kind of just, you know, burned in my brain about, wow, what kind of real leadership and being connected is all about. And that he would take the time, someone of his stature, an amazing individual, and certainly his spouse was just as amazing, the founders of the company. And they would make time to meet all these employees, um, associates. So that legacy of making time and being generous with your time, you know, continues to this day. And that is a lesson I will always, always keep dear to my heart and repeat that same behavior. The most, the best give you, gift you can give anyone is your time. There's no doubt about it. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, I wanted to ask about that too, just from what you went off of, because Marriott is such a big, it's a public company. It's the, it's the biggest hotel company in the world, but it's still also kind of this family brand still, even though it's such a massive company with such a massive footprint. And I actually had Betsy O'Rourke from Zantera on this uh, program, and she spoke about her time with Marriott and how she was directly influenced by Bill Marriott. And I'm, I'm like, does that, for, for working for a company like Marriott, can you feel both of those dynamics? Can you feel sort of this family company dynamic, but also this dynamic that this, we're a worldwide corporation and we're, we're going to have the biggest impact we can have too? It, it's really interesting and it's very insightful because there is this, we're all in it together. We really act as a family. Um, we'll really debate things and fight like any family will. But man, when it's about being successful and lining up and uh, being competitive and taking care of each other, we're protective parents. And we realize we have this responsibility as a publicly traded company, not just to perform for our shareholders, but the purpose of our company, which has remained rock solid, um, permeates our communications and what we do in local communities. Because at the end of the day, that a guy like me, 17 years old from a farm in the Midwest, is now running as president of the Caribbean Latin American region. It's kind of the all-American dream. And it's because of Marriott. It's because it's a company that fundamentally believes their core mission is to create opportunities. And as our founder said, take great care of your customers or your associates. They'll take great care of the customers. The customers will come back time and time again. As simple of a philosophy that is, it permeates everything that we do, whether it's taking care of our owners, taking care of our shareholders, taking care of each other. So there is a company without a value system, and especially today, I think is without a rudder. It really is. And that's what's helping us weather this storm. So these small family values that extend beyond the company that are really human truths at the end of the day, help you guide making some really difficult decisions in the worst crisis in the industry's history. It, it, it helps guides us and it keeps us grounded too. We'll never be too big for our britches, no matter how big we get. And if Marriott, if you're too big for your britches, you usually don't last around here. <laughs> Um, I do want to ask about your time at, I think, I mean, the, the theme park was called Marriott's Great America, right? Correct. Yeah. Do you re so, so you said you were like, you were a summer associate, like a high school yeah. summer associate there. What was it like? What was it like? So I, I did some research on that because you, you spoke about this a little bit to me last summer and I did a little research on the park. I mean, it seemed to be sort of this place that Marriott, I, Marriott hoped Midwesterners would flock to like between Chicago and, and Milwaukee, but it wasn't open all year round, was it? Correct. What's interesting about the park was, and I think this just kind of speaks of the vision of the company being innovative, it opened in 1976 to really celebrate the 200th anniversary of the country. 
So the timing of it was strategic as well, too. And it was about celebrating what makes America great. Our entrepreneurship, you know, our diversity, the diversity in food and land and people and having kind of family fun, right? It was an all Americana place that had great family values, the one outside of Gurney and then the one outside of uh, San Francisco. It was an interesting thing. I, I know Mr. and Mrs. Merritt Sr. loved the, loved the parks. I'm not sure it was our best business model, but I think what everyone loved about it was it was a way to really put Marriott's values kind of forward and give lots of people off of opportunities. I mean, there are folks I've worked with today who started there. And it, it spoke to workforce growth in a place that maybe didn't have something as exciting, right? And we've done that wherever we go in local communities where we can grow workforce. People are very, very loyal to that opportunity and staying with the company that did that for them. Yeah, that's interesting that, I mean, your story is obviously incredibly unique and in, in, in such a incredibly impressive story, but you've, so people you know who are in Marriott today also got their start and maybe it was one of those things, but that's so interesting to me that, yeah. uh, cause you don't hear about great America too much. And of course it, it's, it's long since past hands, but yep. it yep. is interesting that you have that on your resume and other people at Marriott also have that on their resume too. Yeah. It, it was a special time in the company's history. We were a small hotel company back then. Yeah. Um, but I remember about two years ago, the head of human resources, the Orlando World Center, retired from Marriott, and she was the person who interviewed me and hired me at Marriott's Great America. <laughs> so it still became this small little world in a big company. Do you remember what the like, what, any of the highlights of the park, or do you remember what the most popular attraction was at the park, or any or anything you can remember that sticks out in your sure. mind? Sure. Well, I remember, you know, very distinctly the American Eagle, which at the time was the longest double wooden roller coaster, racing roller coaster in the world. Okay. So every year in that business, you had to lay out a big chunk of capital to have something bright, new, and shiny that would attract those customers to come back year after year after year. So it was a capital intensive business. There's no doubt about that. Okay. <laughs> so um, that was always very, very exciting. Every year we launched a new roller coaster or a new attraction. And the other thing too was like live entertainment. I mean, we had amazing entertainers and musicians. The place was just full of life. It was, it had a sense of um, family and community, but yet really down to earth in its own sense of magic. So um, it, it was a special place. That's for sure. Yeah, because I think Andy Stewart, uh, the former Norwegian CEO, had a similar story. I know he got us started in Norwegian as, as a very low-level employee, and eventually he was CEO. And I just think these stories are, I, I hear these stories not super often in the travel industry, but it just seems very unique that people fall in love with both the industry and the company they work for. And it's, it's nice to hear people like you and people like Andy speak about that, especially after the, after the past year of COVID, too. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what was the what's the career path after Marriott's Great Escape? And like, <laughs> I know it's a long line, so I'm not going to ask you to sort of connect yeah. every single dot. But I mean, well, how did how did things progress to to where you are right now, sitting in Miami? Sure. Well, um, again, I worked there through high school. Eventually, it changed hands, and after I graduated from college, um, I was on the job hunt, and it was right before Desert Storm, I guess happened, which, you know, through the economy and uh, shambles back then. And I was, you know, just took it really took a role as a front desk associate at Residence Inn by Marriott. 
And about six months prior, um, Marriott purchased Residence Inn and branded it Residence Inn by Marriott. And that was really when we were expanding our mix of hotel types. Okay. You know, up until that point, it was Marriott Hotels, then Courtyard came along, and then Fairfield and Residence Inn. And interestingly enough, Residence Inn, which is a very large chain today, does so incredibly well, even through this um, difficult time, um, was intended to be the all-suite solution to Courtyard. That was originally what the team thought they were purchasing. And very quickly, they came to understand there was, there was something very different about this brand. It was highly entrepreneurial. It had a very aggressive, um, I always call it hand-to-hand -hand sales effort. They didn't wait for their phone to ring. They went out on the streets. And because I had worked at Marriott, the amusement park business, the general manager thought that I knew a lot about the company. And I said, listen, I know roller coasters, not rooms. He's like, you'll figure it out. So it actually did help me be a little bit of the bridge <laughs> about the Marriott culture. But I think what's interesting about that was it was a moment that demonstrates, you know, another core Marriott value and something Mr. Marriott demonstrates and does all the time and it's listening. We could have gone in with that kind of big company attitude and taken residence in and really taken the guts of the business out and come up with this all sweet courtyard thing, which would have been a two night hotel stay. And it would have made absolutely no sense. These are customers who are there for six months and the economic model was brilliant and it was beautiful. So when you have someone who checks in once for 30 days or seven days or six months, because it was very much a family of customers who lived there, they didn't stay there. The tagline was for a day, a week, a month or more. No one was doing that in the industry. It was a game changer. So, and I think over time, those acquisitions taught us those lessons about what you might see on the balance sheet is not really what's on the human sheet when you really peel it back. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Starwood acquisition went well. So those were some early lessons I learned. But from Residence Inn, I was asked to come to corporate headquarters to work on re-imaging at the time, our reservation system to be able to accommodate extended stay. Because up until that point, it was short-term transient business travelers and groups. The reservation system couldn't handle someone who was there for nine months. So I really came in as an analyst with absolutely no IT background whatsoever. <laughs> and these are your old mainframe IBM reservation systems of the day as they were emerging, as you can imagine. So I think that was another thing about the company. It was taking a risk on somebody um, and being able to articulate what the business needed in a way that you know, our IT team could interpret that and make it happen operationally. So I did roles in that space for quite a while. I was in regional sales. Eventually I moved to Texas and was running regional operations. Then I came back to headquarters to re-image the Courtyard brand. Frankly, the brand was getting a little long in the tooth and it needed a fresh start. And a brand that was very important to the company, our number two fee earner, and the brand was expanding and was still loved by business travelers. Reinventing food and beverage, image, room design, lobby design. And that was an exciting time. And then worked on other brands for many years uh, in full service as well. And then my last role was kind of leading all of our top line functions, digital distribution, revenue management, global sales until this opportunity. So I've kind of worked every nook and cranny of the company from IT to digital to operations to sales 
and global roles too. So it's been a great, great journey. You mentioned it a couple of times how you you had it was there seemed to be a lot of learning on the job for you in those different roles. And is that is that is that okay to say? Like you seem to have to dive in and really immerse yourself and really learn this learn what you were doing before you could really take off. Yes, I am not afraid to say I don't know anything about a topic. <laughs> and to me, it's just a white page of learning. Um, so you know, I'm just curious about the world at large. And I, you know, fundamentally believe that, you know, as Mr. Merritt says, you, you know, you got to get into the details. Success is in the details. And I'll, I'll tell you this one story that just reiterated um, that to me. So I was running multiple grants at one point as SVP and um, Mr. Merritt was on a trip to Canada and he was in Sudbury, Canada, for some unknown reasons. And um, where's that? Call, where's Sudbury, Canada? It's a Western Canada. Okay. Probably up by Moose, Moose Jaw and some of those cities. So okay. the Western side of the country. And I get this call from him. He's like, he, he, Brian, can I chat with you? I'm at the Fairfield in Sudbury, Canada. Okay. So first of all, it's <laughs> Sudbury, Canada. I love that it's in Fairfield, right? And he said to me, I said, well, Mr. Merritt, how's the hotel? I, of course, had no idea that he was there, and nor did I know where Sudbury was. So I was Googling like mad as he called me, trying to understand where he was. <laughs> and he said, the hotel is terrific. It is a beautiful new hotel. The staff is fantastic. Great location. Uh, rooms are spotless. But there, I was waiting. But there's one small thing. So what's up, Mr. Merritt? He said, the oatmeal at breakfast. It's not good, Brian. I'm like, really? He said, no, it's not good at all. It tastes like gruel. <laughs> okay, that's not good. So we get into this conversation and he says, let's do this. Let's set up a taste panel with our executive chef at corporate on our oatmeal standard and see if we can improve our oatmeal. I'm on it, Mr. Moran. So um, I love this story because sure enough, there was an oatmeal tasting. And lo and behold, the, the hotel, the supplier had run out of our, our spec and they substituted something that was below the Marriott spec. I, the one time the chairman happens to be there. <laughs> so we go through this entire oatmeal tasting and, you know, it was a great learning experience, right? Because that level of detail, right? It matters. Those small details in this business, they all ladder up. And then Mr. Marriott would a, taste the oatmeal, say it's not good, and then set up an entire executive panel around an oatmeal tasting shows that success is in the details. So... Great yeah, that is an incredible story because you don't like it's it's those things that the guests will notice, but I guess you, those things won't show up on a balance sheet and they won't show up on a quarterly review or or uh, one of those calls. It'll it'll only show up when you get out and go there. And I, I mean, is that something you do? do you, I, I assume when you go on vacation, it might be a bad assumption, but you're most often staying at a Marriott property. Uh, yeah, that's the only place I'll stay. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, do you, is it, is it when you do take a vacation, is it, is it purely a leisure experience for you or are you trying to take in whatever small details you can and, and take those back to the office for when you're returning to work? You've got to be very measured and thoughtful about that <laughs> because we most people don't vacation at work, right? Yeah. I vacation at work. <laughs> and of course the staff knows you're there. And I really, I am a truly, I really am a low maintenance guy because I don't want them to go out of their way. I don't, you know, they've got customers to take care of, but you see things and you learn things. And I talk to the servers and housekeepers. And uh, of course a housekeeper comes to my room. She's always like, 
do you need service because the room looks perfect? Oh, I'm like, gosh. I'm also going to make sure that for my fellow associates, I don't make their life difficult. They've got yeah. enough to do. Yeah. So, but, you know, management by walking around, as simple of a statement that is, and in today's world of the latest business, you know, nomenclature, agile this, blah, 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 blah. It's still management by walking around, meeting people, listening to what they're doing. How could their job be easier? How could you help them? It's so simple, but I think sometimes it gets lost. And that's what keeps us grounded. It really does. Those simple management techniques still matter today. And just uh, speaking of that, I did want to ask, just because it was such a big story for Marriott, I mean, Arnie Sorensen seemed to have such an impact. And I, I can't remember the level of outpouring of support I've ever seen for an executive um, after that kind of news comes out. And I want to ask, I mean, what, how does that, how, what kind of impact does that is that felt on the company? Not just his passing, but just his his presence pre this year. I mean, what kind of representative was he for Marriott? And what was it like working for a company that was led led by a man like Arnie Sorensen? You know, I, I will never find the right words yeah. to adequately describe um, the immense impact that I know he had on myself and so many others. And it was Arnie's humility and his intellect and that rare combination because there was no doubt he was always the smartest guy in the room but he was always the last one to speak because he really wanted to hear from everyone around the table um whether it was our table or ceo round table industry events or, or in the public space that he played in quite well. And, you know, I think to me, the, the moment that really kind of summed it up, and there were many, was when the morning crew from kind of CNBC, Squawk Box was talking about him that morning. And you could just see on those newscasters how emotional they were about talking about Arnie Sorensen. And typically they're dealing with hard driving Wall Street types, right? Mm -hmm. But Arnie had that amazing ability to truly connect with people on the most human level. And he was more interested in you than anything else. When Arnie spoke to you, that's all he was thinking about was you. And a lot of people don't have those type of active listening skills, to be honest, coupled with the strategic thought at the same time. So what made Arnie special um, in so many ways? First of all, he obviously stepped in the company as a non-family member in a very large leadership role, wasn't raised in the hotel business, but very quickly understood our DNA and our value system. And, you know, obviously was mentored by Mr. Marriott on the soft skills of our business, as well as what makes our business tick. Um, and Arnie had this gift about explaining the most complicated things in the most simple way that people could really understand the impact to them as an individual or the business. And then you take his gifted communication style outside of the walls of the company, and here's an individual who's willing to stand up and fight for what was right, whether it's, you know, equality at work, living wage, LBGTQ rights. I'll never forget during the insurrection, he said, you can't trample on the Constitution. Those words will never, ever leave my brain. It's those types of moments that really just give me pause. He was a great loss to the industry. And, you know, our hearts go out to Ruth and the kids. Um, an incredible family man, deep faith, um, well-centered. 
he led us well. He leaves a legacy um, that our new CEO, Tony, will build on and not live off of. And that was the other thing about Arnie. He didn't live off the Marriott legacy. He built upon it, but was always respectful of what got us to where we are and the pieces that will continue for the duration of the company, soon to be 100 history, hundred years, <clears throat> pardon me, in the next um, five years or so. Remarkable, re remarkable man and a friend and dearly missed. Yeah, I, again, what I said before, I, I just, I remember that week and I just remember hearing from so many different people and low level people and high level people too, who just had only good, nice things and only tremendously positive things to say about Arnie. And I, I wanted to ask just because I know you, you knew him and it's just, it's again, it's nice hearing about the people in our industry who have made the impact on the human level that, that you just described. I did, I don't want to take up your whole afternoon, but I also want to ask you about because you're about a year in this new position. Is that right? It was, wasn't it right uh, before the about, pandemic? About six months. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I know it's a big focus of, of Marriott now is the Caribbean and Mexico. And I, I was wondering if, if you want to talk about that, if you want to talk about what your goals are now that you're sort of in the driving seat and what what's your big initiatives or big projects or, or anything you want to accomplish or you and your team want to accomplish? Well, the most important thing to this region and the company at large, and I've said this is done day one and I won't waver, I want to get our people back to work. The most painful thing I've ever done in my career is having to make the difficult decisions around people's livelihood through no fault of their own in order to stabilize the company so we can get them back. So driving sales, reinstilling confidence in the traveling community that it's good and safe to travel again, as vaccines go up, so does occupancy at the hotels. Um, and we're seeing that in short haul uh, international travel into the Caribbean, into Cancun, for example, into Mexico. Long haul travel will definitely be the longer end of the tail of this to come back, there's no doubt. Leisure is leading the way out. Um, so first and foremost, it's getting our people back and that's driving sales and instilling confidence in the traveling community. That is job one across the country. Specifically to our region, we're very excited to be really jumping in with both feet into the all-inclusive space. It's been a space we've looked at for almost 10 years, but Marriott's fairly methodical before we decide we're going to do something because when we do it, we do it right. You know, yeah. we'll take risks. There's no doubt about it, but we don't go in blind either. So we watch the space. We've entertained different partners over the years. But literally in the last 90 days, it's just exploded. Um, the amount of owners who are saying, we want to be in the Marriott ecosystem as an all-inclusive, let's talk. They see the power of Marriott Bonvoy and reaching that customer base. Um, they see the power of our channels. They see the power of our brands and our people. So um, an all-inclusive is a relatively small segment of lodging, less than 300 and um, 29,000 rooms globally, 56% of that supply is in the Caribbean, and it's been relatively small homegrown chains, right? There are a few well-known players um, in that space, but in general, not the big brands. So um, a lot of energy around this, a lot of excitement from customers, <laughs> and a lot of excitement for owners and investors. So we will definitely be um, in this space, and we are rapidly ramping up. So really excited about that. Um, and it's the right time. It's definitely the right time. Because if one thing this pandemic has certainly taught me, 
I've never taken my family, my friends, my colleagues for granted. I took access to them for granted. I didn't see my mom for 16 months, uh, 14 months, right? And so when I have that time and we have that time to be together with the ones we love or that we work with, that time will be protected. And I just want to enjoy people and not be distracted with maybe someone bringing up a check because my four-year-old spilled another, you know, Slurpee. Here, just have another one. They'll be happy, right? So there is there is that magic about all-inclusive is I just don't have to worry. But the time, families, and multi-generational travel, which was kind of on the rise, this has propelled that forward. You're going to see that just expand exponentially as folks want to dra- travel with grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, mom, dad, the kids, because people have missed out. So how do you make up for it? And travel is definitely the way to escape and do it together as a family. Yeah, I heard an, I heard an interesting phrase for that want or phenomenon. It was social recession. It was that I think coming into this pandemic or as the pandemic was sort of peaking, people worried about Wall Street and a, another financial crisis and things like that, which of course didn't necessarily happen for whatever reason. But the world has certainly shared this experience of a social recession, not be, not even it's not it's not not being able to see family, not being able to see friends, and also not being able to meet anyone new. Really, right. you know that task has just become incredibly difficult with all these uh, hurdles in the way. So I, I think what you said is just a perfect way to describe it. Yeah, people are zoned on Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a great tool to a point but you can never ever replace human interaction. Since the days we came out of the cave and sat around that fire, um, people need to be, want to be, have to be together for their mental well-being, our communities, our social uh, bonding and building. So there's a lot of noise and you know predictions about the future of business travel. Mm-hmm. Obviously I'm in travel, so I'm optimistic, but frankly, I'm realistic. Business travel will be back. Every time we've gone through one of these shock waves um, in the industry over our history, people raise the flag and say that's the end of business travel. And that's never been the case. It's actually come roaring back. Now, today with these tools, which are very good, by the way, remember, group conference calls are going to kill business travel. (laughs) I've heard this time and time again. It didn't happen. I think there will be some impact. I don't think it will be to the magnitude anyone is predicting on the far end of the spectrum. So it'll be around the edges. It's not going to change the core of business travel. We'll take a while to recover. Absolutely. But the further this gets behind us, the more we're all going to travel for work and play. And so I want to ask you one more question that I promise to let you go. And it's a question I've asked every guest on this session, on these, uh, on these sessions. And this is the, I've asked this question, to everyone. And your path is definitely unique, so I wanted to ask you the same question. And after three decades in travel, three decades in Marriott, I think I know the answer, but was there ever a crisis or was there ever a low period in your career where you thought that maybe the travel industry wasn't the industry for you and maybe you, you looked elsewhere? You know, it was never that it was not an industry for me because it's the kind of services in my heart. And I love to see people have these opportunities to grow into amazing roles. I have housekeepers I've known who are general managers today. That doesn't happen everywhere in other industries. It just doesn't. And even when the industry has been shocked, the thing about this business is we're fighters. We always, it's scrappy. Travel folks are scrappy. We fight our way through. We always have. 
I'll tell you, if there was ever a time I would have thought about it, it was certainly during this pandemic. But the reason why I didn't entertain the idea was I felt it was my personal responsibility to fight to get us back, to get our people back. And one day when that's done and I've been in you know the company long enough, then it will be time for me to make room for someone else. Because that's how I want to make leave is to make room for someone else to have the opportunities that I've had. That's the reason to leave, um, not about the industry. So, Did you ever have a desire to go back to uh, farming, to go back to what your parents did? <laughs> you know, I, I will admit there is something really wholesome and pure about it. And the, it's also, it's a small business. And I think that's why the hotel business appealed to me because each of our general managers run a small business. You can be at a 66 room Fairfield and it's certainly a small business or a 300 room Marriott. Uh, some of our hotels are much larger, but in general, it's kind of, you're running that ship, your business, just like my mom and dad did. And so I think that piece of it always has a little warmth in my heart. Um, and it was also the community connection. A farming community really looks out for each other and really takes care of each other. And I'll tell you this one story, and this is why I think Marriott was such a perfect fit for me because these hotels are communities amongst themselves and those associates, and they really take care of each other. Is I remember it was, I was probably in fifth grade and we were putting in the very last harvest, the last load of straw into the barn before for winter. And through a strange event, a spark happened and a fire caught on our barn and um, all of our hard work for that summer was on fire, the straw, the hay. And uh, it's the only time I ever saw my father cry sitting on the steps watching his barn burn down. Um, fortunately, the ceiling of the barn was cement. So on top of where the hay was, the cows underneath were protected. We actually, the barn was burning. We finished milking them and got them out the door because we didn't know the next time they would be milked. And I will tell you, and it was a six alarm fire. It was big. I mean, the smoke could be seen hundred miles away. The community that surrounded our family to help us reestablish ourselves. I have no words to describe that. And whether it was giving us feed for our animals, taking our cows to milk them because we couldn't milk them. Um, tents were set up three meals a day of people bringing food. It was just, that's that community. And the hotel business is like that. When things go south, the associates take care of each other and they take care of the community around them and the neighborhoods and those people. So I think that core value of community that I grew up with is part of the Marriott Foundation and that binds me to this company. So uh, that's the beauty of small farming. I think that's a perfect uh, note to wrap it up on. And again, I, I do want to thank you very much for your time and your candor too in the interview. And hopefully, again, when you guys are all in person, we'll be able to cross paths and, and uh, not be on Zoom at, at some point. It will happen sooner than you think. I Get hope so. <laughs> I have them. I have both now. So uh, I think one more week from today and then I'm technically fully, fully inoculated. So I'm very excited. That's great. All right, All right Brian. Thank again, thank you so much. Take care. You too.